In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Gospel, Jesus describes the emotions the disciples experienced in the transition from Good Friday to Easter in terms of labor pains. Quote, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she does not remember the anguish anymore because of joy that a human being has been born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Jesus is here picking up a larger biblical theme of prophecy. It began with the punishment that God gave to Eve in Genesis. Quote, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. But God also promised that the seed of the woman, the fruit of the painful childbearing, would, quote, bruise the head of the serpent. This has been interpreted in the Christian tradition as Jesus, the seed of the woman, the ultimate descendant, crushing the head of the serpent who is Satan in uh, our redemption that he accomplished on the cross. The 26th chapter of Isaiah develops this childbirth imagery and connects it to the resurrection. Isaiah describes in this chapter the tribulation of Israel and the helpless condition of the nation in captivity. Isaiah 26 verses 17 and 18 say, quote, As a woman with child is in pain, and cries out in her pangs when she draws near to the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth. But then God promises that these labor pains will lead to life through resurrection. In the very next birth, verse, Isaiah 26, 19, we are told, quote, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust of the earth. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. In the New Testament, Revelation further develops the image of Israel's labor pains and the Messiah. Revelation 12 describes Israel as, quote, a woman clothed with the sun who is is giving birth to a child. Quote, she was with child and she cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. And she brought forth a male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, when we think of this childbirth imagery in the Bible, we usually think of Christmas when Jesus was born. But the biblical imagery here focuses on Good Friday and Easter. The passion and death of Jesus are the labor pains of Israel. On Easter, a new humanity is born. Revelation describes Jesus as, quote, the firstborn of the dead. The connection between 
birth and resurrection continues in our own baptisms. We participate in Good Friday and Easter through baptism. We are born again in that we are also raised from the dead. Baptism is just the beginning of our labor pains. New life is conceived within us through the gift of the Spirit in baptism, but this life is not yet fully formed. We experience labor pains in the Christian life as this life struggles to grow within us. Often the most painful things cause the most growth, and I don't know anybody who's experienced significant spiritual growth without a great deal of pain and challenge. As St. Paul wrote in exasperation to the Christians in Galatia, quote, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Just as a child within a pregnant mother is destined to break free from the confines of the womb at the moment of birth, so the life that has been planted within us in baptism is destined to break free from the confines of our mortal existence, our bodies, our mortal bodies in the resurrection on the last day. As 1 Corinthians says, quote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Too often, the Christian hope is reduced to a vague idea that we will go to heaven when we die. Heaven, as it is thought of in these contexts, is usually envisioned as a purely spiritual experience, as though to be saved meant somehow to escape from the confines of our bodies. The image of childbirth helps us to understand the error. We do not want to be free from our bodies. We want to be free in our bodies. Freedom in the body is the completed form of human life that we will experience in the resurrection. The image of childbearing helps us to understand the expectant nature of the Christian life. The life that has been conceived within us in baptism cannot be satisfied with anything in this world. As the epistle exhorted us, quote, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. To call us sojourners and pilgrims means that this present world is not our true home. We are on a pilgrimage to another place. We are waiting for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Some explanation is needed to understand the meaning of fleshly lusts because the use of the word flesh can often give the false impression that all bodily desire is wrong. Fleshly lusts refer to the disordered desires of our 
fallen human nature that we have because of sin. <clears throat> Apart from the redemption we experience of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we pursue things in this world as though they were the source of ultimate fulfillment. We make idols out of created things. Since the things of this world are not ultimate, they can never fulfill us. They can never fulfill that life that has been planted within us in baptism. Thus, the desire to find fulfillment in this world <clears throat> that belongs to our fleshly lusts wars against the desires of the new life that has been planted within us in baptism. That life longs for its ultimate fulfillment in the world to come. However, as we live in Christ in the spirit in this world, we can enjoy created things. The Holy Spirit purifies and redirects our desires so that we can enjoy the creation in the way that God intended. We enjoy things sacramentally. We see created things as gifts from God, as signs that point us to the kingdom of God. We enjoy the creation sacramentally when we give thanks for the good gifts that God gives to us and then use them in ways that honor him, in ways that are in accordance with his commandments. We discipline our desires so that created things will not control us and make us slaves to our appetites. The birth pangs we experience in the Christian life include the way the Holy Spirit fights against our disordered desires. There is a struggle because our disordered desires fight back. In the resurrection, the conquest of our disordered desires will be complete. Our desires will finally be <clears throat> in harmony with God's will. And we will be at peace within ourselves and outwardly with all people and indeed with the entire creation. But for now, some conflicts, some birth pangs remain in the Christian life until the resurrection. <clears throat> this is the reason the Christian life requires a balancing of feasting and fasting. We fasted during Lent to learn to discipline our desires and redirect them towards God. We feast during Easter to celebrate the gift of resurrection life in the body. The regular practice of our faith requires a balance of feasting and fasting. Feasting to celebrate the redemption of life in the body and fasting to subdue our disordered desires to the Holy Spirit. Both the feast and the fast point beyond this world to the resurrection and the life of the world to come. For we are sojourners and pilgrims here. As Romans 8.23 says, quote, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.